My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. At that time, John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow us. Jesus replied, Do not prevent him. There is no one who performs a mighty deed in my name who can at the same time speak ill of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Anyone who gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, amen, I say to you, will surely not lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were put around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than with two hands to go into Gehenna, into the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life crippled than with two feet to be thrown into Gehenna. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than with the two eyes to be thrown into Gehenna, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The Gospel of the Lord. Some of you guys might know that I'm a part-time co-host on Sirius XM Satellite Radio's The Catholic Guy Show every Thursday and Friday. It's kind of hard to describe what the show really is. It's their, their host, Lino Rulli, likes to describe it as something in between David Letterman and Howard Stern, but Catholic. I just say it's something really stupid. We have like no real heavy lifting at all, and sometimes we kind of swerve into Catholicism, but, you know, tomato, tomato. Anyway, all I can say is it's kind of a funny show, and over the 11 years ago, I started listening to it, and I just called in one time to make fun of Lino on air about something. He turned it around on me, then invited me to come into the studio where he made fun of me some more. Started going in every couple weeks, and we became friends, and the rest is history. So that's how I ended up on the show. But one bit that he likes to do somewhat regularly is this bit called Homily on the Spot, where without any warning or preparation for me, he just surprises me with the gospel reading for the coming Sunday and says, all right, Father Jim, give me what's your homily on this, which, as you can see, I have papers in front of me. I like to be a little bit more prepared, so, which is why he likes doing it to see how flustered I might get on the air. Great radio. Anyway, he did that this past Thursday with this gospel passage. And to be honest, I was really incoherent. Some might argue that's nothing new. But anyway, seriously, though, when this gospel came up, and especially that line, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were put around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. That's 
all I could kind of focus on. That's all I could think about. My mind immediately went to the, the clergy sex abuse scandal and the cover-up over those scandals, which you might have heard me talk about in the last few weeks, or if you go back and look online at my homilies online, you'll see it's something that's been on my mind in my homilies for the last few months. Back in June, when the, the first of these atrocities first came to light, beginning with the archbishop who ordained me being revealed as, I have to be careful in my description here, as someone who has done something horrible to young people, including children, to seminarians who wanted to be priests. That was hard enough to wrap my mind around and my head around that, and it put me in a really sad and angry place. Follow that up with the horrific story from Pennsylvania, where decades of abuse by hundreds of priests to thousands of victims just devastated me and unleashed rage all over again. So you might understand why my gut reaction reading this scripture with all that anger is that there's probably not enough rock out there for the number of millstones that we need. And there's a lot of people who are angry about this. You can find stories and commentaries all over the internet and a lot of people pointing fingers at one another or trying to figure out the reason or cause for all this. And I have to admit that I've gotten sucked into that debate myself and I get more angry and upset and frustrated. We want an answer. We want someone to blame. We want there to be reason and we want someone to pay for it. That's what happens when we get angry. And maybe it's not that church scandal that's got you fired up tonight, but just Googling what makes people angry, it gives you like an updated list like in real time of things that everyone's upset about. So, I mean, it's really helpful. I mean, you know, everything from politicians in this country, pick your party or both if you want. Um, International headlines, one headline read, why are Ugandan youth so angry? I was curious. I clicked on it. There's a lot of reasons they're angry. Um, to even the creation of mac and cheese candy canes. Thank you. Yes. That reportedly has people very, very angry. And there was like a whole out, you know, outcry over that. There's not enough nominees we can find to anger people. Just go on Twitter and like spend five minutes there. Everyone's angry. And maybe, maybe it's not something out there. Maybe your issue is something closer to home, more personal, something with your family. Maybe you're having difficulty at work or in a class or something. Or maybe there's just all kinds of drama with your friends or roommates. Whatever the issue is, if you're like me and you come into Mass with something that's really ticked you off, there's a temptation to hear this scripture And kind of get distracted by that one line from Jesus. Feeling kind of emboldened. Thinking, I knew Jesus would be on my side. That he understands why these people are just so awful. Like, here's your millstone. I hope you drown, you know. Makes you feel good. I mean, and it's hard to preach when you're angry though. So, the more I, I read and prayed through this, I recognized that's not the entirety of the gospel. Jesus is pretty clear about leaders who lead people astray. Jesus has come to save humanity from from sin and death. You and I, he's come to save us from that. So when people mess that up by their horrible example, by their scandalous, wretched behavior, by their terrible witness, whether we're looking at a priest or a politician or a professor or a family member, 
that rightly catches Jesus' attention and that will be dealt accordingly by him. That's why he's warning that way, which as a priest, I take especially to heart. Which is why, though, it's important for me and all of us, though, to recognize that Jesus doesn't just stay zeroed in on that. And that's more frustrating to us. Because on a very human level, wouldn't it be great to hear Jesus say that for the leaders who failed us, who've hurt us, for the people who've angered you, that we can pluck out their eyes or cut off their hands or cut off their feet. Or maybe that's just me, I'm Italian. Like that's kind of how we like to do things sometimes. If you haven't seen The Godfather. Anyway, I mean, there's something very human about that, that we would like that kind of an approach to things. But that's not what Jesus says. He says the complete opposite. He directs that towards us. If your hand, if your foot, if your eye causes you to sin. Jesus wants us to focus on our evil intentions, our hateful thoughts, our disordered actions. And he's using that that dramatic example to catch his listeners' attention. Because he's not literally advocating that we mutilate ourselves to avoid sin. I hope you all knew that before I finish even saying that sentence. Because in reality, when we think about it, the hand, the foot, the eye, they can't cause us to sin. Sin is a decision. It's a choice that we make in our hearts to misuse or to get our priorities out of whack. And we see that happens every time we choose to be selfish over being selfless. Or when I'm, I'm filled with sorrow that someone is doing well rather than appreciating the good that God is doing in their life as well as mine. Or when I, I give in to that unreasonable desire for vengeance rather than trying to interrupt that feeling and to try to, to mend the relationship. Or when I don't even desire to go deeper in my relationship with God, I kind of just coast along rather than seeing myself as being made and created and called with a divinely charged call and purpose. Or when I pursue riches rather than looking to give, in, give more generously. Or when I overindulge in food or drink rather than finding ways to be self-disciplined. Or when I treat another person simply as a means for my own physical pleasure instead of recognizing that each and every one of us is made in that divine image of God and each of us has that dignity. Those are all decisions that are, are made in our heart and that has an effect on me, has an effect on those around us, and has an effect on the entire body of Christ. So if there's one good thing that we can learn from the failures of all of our leaders is that our sin affects each other. And while we can't control the leaders who failed so spectacularly, we can, and in fact we must, strive to control ourselves and make better choices for ourselves and for each other. This great saint, St. Philip Neri, once said, our enemy, the devil, who fights with us in order to vanquish us, seeks to disunite us in our homes and to breed quarrels, dislikes, contests, and rivalries. Because while we're fighting with each other, he comes and conquers us and makes us more securely his own. That's what the evil one wants to do. 
not just for us to commit sins, but to cause each and every one of us around us to feel the horrible ripples of that, the effects of those evil choices that are made. But more importantly, Jesus challenges us that when we work to excise evil from my life, when I choose virtue over sin, all those angers that we harbor, they start to melt away. The animosity begins to cease. And we start to really see each other as the brothers and sisters that we've been created to be. And even more, we start to become the body of Christ. Scriptures. 